I don't even know how much of an intro to do today. Today's guest we've been looking forward to since we scheduled it. Didn't we talk to him before the summer was even over about doing this? Um, yeah, I think so. Or I had messaged him right after and decided uh, we wanted to have him on just to pick his brain, talk about some of the stuff he's into with DCI judging, as well as some of the stuff he's doing for his career now. So. Yeah, so obviously everybody already knows from the title of the video or the podcast on Spotify and stuff who it is. But before we let him introduce himself, uh, welcome everyone to the Asia Dot Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is Evan Morrill. And make sure you head to LoneStarPercussion.com. Use the discount code AGEDOUT. Save yourself $10 on any order of $50 or more. Everybody wins there. You know, we're in the thick of marching band season for high school and college. Everyone's probably need some stuff. They'll take care of you over there. Um, check out the YouTube channel if you're listening on podcast services and vice versa. We have all kinds of reaction videos and a few, like, cool things coming down the pipeline and everything that we'll be talking about here in the near future. But uh, post social media... Facebook, Instagram, never miss an update. And all right, I'm going to shut up now. Evan, I'll let you take it and we'll just get this thing going. Yeah, so joining us tonight uh, from, are you, are you in Washington? Is that where you're at right now? Or are you in Virginia? Or I'm in Woodbridge, Virginia. Woodbridge, Virginia is Mr. Uh, Jeff Brooks. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. I really uh, appreciate it. Yeah, like you've probably heard on my Judge Tape intros, my name is Jeff Brooks. I'm from Woodbridge, Virginia. I'm a member of the U.S. Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. And I'm also an adjudicator for Drum Corps International. So I'm uh, really excited to be here. I really love uh, the content you guys are putting out. And excited. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Um, so obviously, he just threw out his current gigs, which are super awesome. Excited to talk about both of those. Uh, but before we hammer into that, give us just a brief intro from kind of how you got into the activity. I know your parents were heavily involved and a big influence on your life. Uh, take it away. Yeah. So I was uh, really lucky. Um, to have parents and grandparents that were very involved. My, my grandma was actually like a first-generation drum corps fan. We're talking back in the, like, World War II era, right? So oh, dang. people get back from the war. They're hanging out at the VFW and the American Legion. And uh, that's really when kind of the drum corps activity was booming, you know. And uh, for them, it was something that they would go to. They were always huge fans. And then when my dad came around uh, in the mid-1950s, they naturally kind of got him involved. And so he was uh, marched a very long time. He marched in some, some like junior, junior corps. And then he marched a lot of years with Miller's Blackhawks. Uh, and that's Miller of FJM, as in Fred J. Miller. Oh, wow, that's sick. So, and my, my grandma was actually one of their very first employees, uh, maybe their very first employee, way back a long time ago. And so Fred was a, 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 a baton twirler. My mom was a baton twirler. She was taking lessons from Fred, and my dad was the center snare of Fred's drum corps. So naturally, they uh, got together and uh, got married, and, and uh, here I am all these years later. So I was very lucky to, to grow up around people who really appreciated the activity. And then they, uh, they both started judging uh, Color Guard in, uh, in 1980. So um, That's awesome. I, was born, I was born in the mid-'80s, and so as, you know, as a young kid, like I have a memory of seeing one of my – probably my first drum corps memory I saw, the Blue Devils, uh, behind Centerville High School, and this, this would have been probably – 87 or 88 they still had the ruffled shirts Dude, and i have this memory yes. of yeah like holding my dad's hand 
you know, it was like above my head because I was only a toddler. But I'll, I'll never forget that moment of uh, of seeing them. And then I remember going to a, a drum corps show like in Fort Wayne, Indiana in the late 80s. And uh, my favorite corps was Seattle Cascades. Uh, they, had a, they had a giant like Chinese dragon in their show. <laughs> so if anybody, if anybody out there knows what year that is, uh, that's the year I was at that show. But uh, I fell asleep for like the last three cores. So <laughs> late eighties, man, scouts, heydays and stuff. Oh and yeah. All kinds of just fantastic shows program. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing star uh, of Indiana when they were, they'd come to Centerville every year. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots of great memories being around that. And, uh, I was really fortunate to go to a great, you know, high school program at Centerville high school. Uh, Tim Fairbanks was my, my drumline instructor. And so, uh, met him when he was just a young man, you know, he was in his early twenties and I was a, just 12 or 13, you know? And, uh, so I was, you know, just was really fortunate to, to be a part of those programs and then have the support of my parents all those years. So, and then you ended up marching um, several different ensembles. Obviously, you named Centerville, um, Glassman, Crossman, Scouts, Bluecoats, Rhythm X. A handful of years through all those. Um, what year did you start at Glassman? Was that 04? The so 03. 03 was my first summer. Um, Chris Heston was the caption head. Colin had just been there in 01 and 02, and then Lee Bennis was there before that. So, and I, you know, being a kid from Ohio, uh, I was watching all those late 90s Glassman lines. And then when Colin was there, just, I still think to this day, those are some of Colin's best lines. Like his writing was just exceptional. So musical. Yeah. I I was a huge fan. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of guys I had gone to high school with ended up in some of those lines. And actually, my snare tech. Uh, when I was at Centerville was Kevin DeMackey, who was Glassman's like longtime center snare. Um, so I kind of had that connection. So it, and it, they're close by, you know, so it made a lot of sense for me. So I went to Glassman in 03. We, we missed finals uh, that first year, still learned a lot. I mean, I was only like 17 when I auditioned, you know. I, I was splitting center uh, that first summer, and, and at, the, <laughs> at the time – I thought it was just because I was a badass, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, turns out I, that probably should have been a warning sign. <laughs> like if you're 17 and you're splitting and you're like trying to be a top six drum corps, whatever, like maybe, maybe uh, <laughs> things are not going as well as we'd like. Uh, the mass uh, exodus, right? Yeah. So, so anyway, learned a lot. Uh, ended up going to Crossman. Had a great time there. It's where I first met uh, Lee Bettis and, and his team of some really great people. Rudy Garcia was on staff there. Yeah. He's currently kind of Blue Devils uh, sergeant major. You know, he's in there in the trenches with those those uh, Blue Devils members every day. So We got Rudy uh, in the pipeline to talk to. I, oh, I texted nice. Him, yeah. I texted him the other day. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so. funny. You know, when I, when I started judging for DCI uh, – I I'll never forget the look on Rudy's face. Cause he said that they were all like looking at the judge lineup and they're like, who the hell is this Brooks guy? Like, who is this? And then <laughs> they got out on the field and Rudy saw me and was just like, Holy crap. <laughs> Wait, it's Brooks. I know him. I know Brooks, you know? So that's one of those kind of moments that'll always stick with me. <laughs> and then you were in the scouts. Oh, five Oh six line when Colin was yes. there. Um, and I got to tell you, I absolutely loved phenomenal my, my time at madison uh the 05 year in particular was that the carmen show yeah really special That's also last, a sick I, uniform 
Yes. Yeah. The white and the white pants, and we had these uh, like beads over our shoulders. Just yeah. a lot of really cool accoutrements, you know, to the uniform. And like the two-tone a lot of really green. nice touches. Yeah. Just rocking the cowbell. No scoops, by the way. No scoops. Uh, <laughs> the cowbell. We might have experimented with scoops. Actually, I don't. I don't remember. I seem to remember having a scoop from that year, but probably the uh, inception of the the Nutchita, I would. I feel like. Yeah, we played a lot of Nutchitas, um, <laughs> and a lot of threes and fours. Just not nearly as fast as like Boston was playing them this year. But we did play a lot of them. Um, so so, those so are Colin's really been on the fours for a long time. Then. Oh yeah, he's I don't been, know my history. He's been so pushing that train, he just pushes it faster. They're they're playing them twice as fast as we did. So. <laughs> And uh, aged out of blue coats in 07, phenomenal line, great show. Um, how many years did you march X? Uh, I marched four. So I marched uh, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, 04 was kind of my, I kind of took a year off from indoor. I, I could have marched in 04. Uh, and, you know, I, part of me wishes I could go back in time and audition because I, I probably could have been in that 04 line. Um, and they, that was Rhythm X's first, like, world-class medal. So that was... Uh, I was kind of their number one fan all year. I knew a bunch of the people in the line and, you know, was still coming to all the shows. I just wasn't marching. You know, I think we all probably have gotten to a point at some time where you just, you're like, I need just a little break. Yeah. I was like starting college and, uh, you know, had a lot going on in my, and just as any 19 or 20 year old does, I, (laughs) I thought I had a lot going on and didn't march, but yeah. So I was at X in uh, five, six, seven, eight. Um, nice went out on top yep yeah and i gotta tell you that was uh absolutely one of the highlight moments for for my marching career probably the highlight moment for me was uh finals night in 2008 just because i felt like i had been a kind of a big part of the building process at rhythm x to have gone in and we finished second in 05 so my first year uh the audio actually, visual show? Yeah, uh, that was 04. So 05 okay. was wired. Wired. And we won prelims. Uh, so we went on last uh, finals night. But unfortunately, that kind of worked against us because at the time, all the members uh, would go watch the shows, right? All the, the Scholastic World groups would go watch the world class. But because we went on last, they made all the, all the kids exit the stands to go line up for retreat. So RCC had this like major hype train going for their second to last performance of the night. And they had this dance feature, which at the time was like really fresh. Uh, no one had really done anything like that. Uh, I, I still, to this day, that one, that one stings. Cause I think we really, I think we had a pretty flawless run. If you go back and listen to that snare break in 05, that's some of the clean stuff I've ever played. Pretty killer. <laughs> we, I mean, we just, I'm proud of that stuff. And then, so to be, to be a part of that process and be so close my first year. And then we were second in 06. It was like so close. And then 07, we went to Europe, um, and had a <laughs> lot of fun. I'll just, I'll just say that we just had, we had a really great time. We ended up six competitively, which is still, uh, nothing to, to sneeze at, but not, not what I wanted. Um, and so my age out year, we really kind of, got down to business Tighten the screws yeah and everything everything just kind of came together and uh, it was just a really truly a magical moment for for me 
and, and just kind of the culmination, you know, you think about all the times, you know, you were close or that, you know, all the hard work that went into all those drum course summers that, you know, the best, the best competitive finish we ever had was when I was at Madison, we were sixth, mm-hmm. you know, blue coats, we were seventh when I was there. Although we did have some milestones that summer, we beat blue devils and Cavaliers uh, at my home show at Centerville. It was the first time Blue Coats had ever beaten either of those cores. And nice. it happened uh, at Centerville, which was uh, kind of special to be a part of that. But you think about, you know, all those kind of competitive uh, finishes where maybe it, it wasn't what you wanted, to have all of that kind of come together for my very last, you know, competitive marching experience was, uh, it's still like to this day, it gives me goosebumps, you know. That's yeah, pretty it's, sick. It's, I can imagine going out. I can't imagine going out with a win because I obviously never won anything the years I marched. But like Josh Bricky talks very highly of that 08 group. He calls the snare line a bunch of junkyard dogs. You yeah. all just worked your butts <laughs> off all season and just put your nose to the grindstone and it, it paid off. I mean, yeah, great show. An all time Rhythm X, great show. Uh, an all time WGI, just great show. Very innovative and just super clean. Um, so then you obviously did, uh, you aged out and you had put in, you mentioned briefly, you talking about college, uh, gotten some degrees, uh, Eastern Michigan, Wright State, did yeah. the music education thing. Um, I guess that'll segue us into uh, your education and your experience kind of all culminated into now you're judging for DCI in the circuit. Did you start out judging for DCI? Did you start out in some local circuits? Like how did you get injected into that? Well, the thing about um, judging for DCI is that they they do not train judges. So really to even be considered uh, to become a DCI judge, you, you have to be experienced already. Um, they don't have they're not they're not like training people from the ground up. So um, I had taught a couple of years of drum corps. I was at Crown. Uh, as you know, Evan, uh, that's where I met you. I was on staff there and then was involved with the Madison Scouts for a number of years. And so had been teaching and had been involved. And, you know, I always sort of knew that I wanted to become a judge at some point. But I never knew, you know, like, well, when's the right time? How do I start? Um, And uh, I went to a training day for MEPA. I was still living in Ohio. And I went to, like, MEPA, which is the Mideast Performance Association. It's basically the home circuit there, like in the Dayton area. And uh, so Chris Heston was hosting this open, uh, you know, open judges seminar. So like anyone that was interested in becoming a judge could go. So I went and I already, you know, I already was pretty familiar with the system uh, and how it worked and had studied that. And I knew what the sheets look like. And I, you know, uh, had obviously discussed judging sort of extensively with my parents um, who are, were active, you know, color guard adjudicators and, um, so I already I already had some concept of how how it all kind of works, but I learned a lot and I, I trial judged that entire season. This would have been I think 2012. Uh, so I was trial judging. Uh, I studied with a lot of really phenomenal judges. Um, you know, Tom or Eric was kind of my my mentor. He was kind of like my assigned mentor. So I would go to shows and he and I would you know, judgy shows together, essentially. Now, none of my numbers counted, and none of my commentary, uh, the, the groups wouldn't get my commentary, but I could listen to his commentary and listen to mine, and, 
compare numbers and we would talk about, well, what was your read on this? And what was your, you know, how did you perceive that? Spreads. You know, this and yeah, that. all of that. Your numbers management. And, and so you just, you're practicing. And uh, a lot of, a lot of that with the training is sort of whatever you put into it. You know, there's no one, it's not, it's like going to college or something, right? Like no one's forcing you to go to class. Uh, right. And so, you get out of it what you want to. Um, yeah, and so I always, uh, I always really kind of took it seriously because I knew how much it means to the members to have quality people judging, and I, and I, you know, long term, I yeah, it's something that had always been um, on my sort of bucket list of things I wanted to do. Uh, even when I was marching drum corps, I mean, I sort of even back then, I remember thinking like, you know, I think I'm going to do that someday. And, um, so I've always, you know, looking at the activity sort of through that lens, um, that this entire time. So anyway, judged, uh, I started judging, uh, and did a bunch of years of, uh, indoor judging, um, judging marching band, uh, really, you know, you're starting out doing, you know, local indoor drumline shows, local marching band shows. And then, you know, you just start getting connected with people and you start, uh, you know, people that you knew are going to connect you to people that you should know if you don't already. And, and, um, Networking and actually, baby. yeah, absolutely. And so it certainly has helped me. Um, I, I sometimes think about it almost like, uh, if you watch motorsports, like, uh, I'm a huge IndyCar fan and okay. I've got, there's a I, young uh, driver. Yeah. I like IndyCar some cause my friend is super into it, but I've, gotten the formula one bug because of netflix now, i understand and listen i love formula one roman grosjean had uh, switched over to the, the racing the racing in indycar is way better because they're all basically riding like they're all using the same setup there it's yeah not, it's not an engineering race it's just a race it's a driver race oh, it's a driver race so i love that and I, I also really enjoy formula one but so colton herda is a young sort of prodigy type uh in in the car he's only like 20 or 21 and you're thinking like how is this kid possibly like this good at driving an indy car because they start racing those go-karts at like eight years old that and his dad was an indy car driver yeah so there's pictures of of colton herder when he was like two with like helio castroneves and you know and he elio was driving at the time you know now they're competing against each other yeah the spider-man so um so I was kind of like that in the sense that I got to grow up around some some truly magnificent people and judges in the activity. And so some of that helped. Uh, you know, you know the right people, but, um, you know, you just spend time in it. And then I won the job with the Army uh, in 2013. And uh, so I'm coming up on 10 years now in my job uh, in the Army with the, with the, the Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. And I was actually in Indianapolis um, performing. My group had gone uh, a number of years in a row, and um, we would go and we would play like outside on the concourse, like before the show would start. So we would do like semifinals and finals. So like as people were kind of trickling into the stadium, we would be out front playing music and drum solos and whatever. And uh, excuse me, we. At some point, had kind of gotten hooked up with like a box to watch the show, nice. and one of my colleagues uh, turned to me, and he knew that I had been into judging, and I think 
it was Lightsky's first year. And obviously I knew Mike from, from Rhythm X. And, uh, I had told some of my colleagues like, yeah, you know, he's a, he's a buddy of mine and, and we marched together and, you know, I judge myself. And, and one of my colleagues was like, well, why aren't you down there doing that? <laughs> and I had honestly never really, no one had ever just put it to me like that. I so said, bluntly. You know, yeah. Well, why aren't you? And I said, that's a good question. So about two weeks later, I, you know, I sent my stuff in and, um, and, uh, you know, applied officially and uh, and I had also that prior spring had done uh, some shows with um, I was judging in Indianapolis. I was doing like state prelims or finals for IPA, and uh, was really lucky to be on that panel of some like real all star judges. The people I was judging with, I certainly didn't view myself that way. And like Dave Carbone was there. Dave Carbone had given me my first like real teaching gig at Bellbrook. Um, in 05 and he said hey nola jones was there hey we got to get this brooks guy into dci so it all it all just kind of happened the cards fell into place all the yeah exactly it all just kind of started to happen they were kind of tracking that i was going to put something in and i had that colleague that was like yo why aren't you doing it so what was your first official year judging with uh dci so i trialed in 2017 um with them and i had to like buy my own flights I went to the Atlanta Regional. I judged. Uh, I was upstairs doing percussion two at the time, which is now kind of like the music analysis caption. Not really. Um, and I, well, it's yeah. <laughs> uh, that's they do a, gen- they do generally yeah. put a percussion person yes. in that position. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's you know that's what the percussion that ended up kind of turning into that in, in a way. Right. So, so anyway, yeah, I try, I tried and I, I went to as many shows as I could cause, and it was all kind of on my own dime. Um, That's an investment. Yeah. You know, and, uh, I think they could tell I was real serious about it. So, uh, and it, it went well. So my first official year was 2018 and I, I did a, a handful of shows and, yeah, I guess the rest is history. I've been I've been judging with them ever since. And obviously, COVID happened. I was super bummed. Yeah, I, I think everyone do, was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To put it mildly, I was super <laughs> bummed. Like, what a what an understatement of all of that. But uh, I was supposed to do Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta Regional in 2020. Oof. So, uh, amongst a bunch of other awesome shows. Um, but yeah, I. Well, I can't even I cannot even imagine what it would be like to lose a summer like that. I mean, I know for for me, each one of those summers, good or bad or for whatever they ended up being, were it's like sacred to me. Yeah. You know, and the the thought of ha- of losing one of those summers, I just can't I can't even fathom that. Yeah. Now that you're go ahead, Mike. It had to be brutal for for everyone involved, especially I feel for the members and Evan and I talked about that a lot even if not on here, just between him and I, like what it would have felt like, like, Oh, you only have a finite amount of time to do this. And there goes a whole year, like a whole season. Yeah. Now. I mean, they kind of extended age out stuff, didn't they? Like they, they uh, did. They, yeah. they so, did extend it. Uh, so I, I don't know all the nitty gritty rules. Maybe, maybe one of you does, but I do know they extended it, but I still think that there were people that kind of like still lost a summer. Yeah, know? I right. think so too. For sure. Just because, I mean, yeah, they extend your age, but 
if you're like 23, 24, like life happens. Like you've graduated yeah. at that point. Like you have like a job, like just stuff's different. You yeah. can't really go back. Um, so before we get into some of the like nitty gritty of the judging system and just opinions about this summer and talking about everything, uh, I'm curious, was it weird at all when you got in like judging groups taught by people that taught you? Was there like anything weird about that or was it funny or just kind of felt normal? Um, I would say that the first time, like the first time that you maybe see one of your instructors in critique is a little, you know, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a little bit of a, like a butterfly, you know, uh, in my chest a little bit, you know, a little frog in the throat maybe. <laughs> um, but I so, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. what do you think about what I said about your group? <laughs> I'm just oh, well, yeah. you used to, you used to teach me and I used to, I mean, but you could say that for so many groups, you'd named off like Lee Bettis, Colin McNutt, Rudy Garcia. Like it's yeah, almost Mac, like that with I mean, every group. Like, yeah. Mike McIntosh. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the really, I think, beautiful things about the community is that there is a level of trust there, um, you know, between the judges and all of the staff members. There's um, one of the most uh, amazing things about being a judge is over the course of the summer, you get to have that dialogue with the groups, um, that sort of back and forth discussion. And nine times out of ten, it's it's a very productive sort of two-way street of, you know, I'm giving them some things to consider and critique in addition to what they hear on the file. And then they're going to maybe give me a few items to, hey, we'd like you to maybe take a look at this. Or next time, you know, like if I, I had some groups say, hey, we'd like for you to, to hang up front a little more and try to get more of a total read. And I've had other groups say, hey, we'd like you to try to get out there a little more. And so the benefit that I have of someone that was doing like a regional and I knew, I knew all summer that I, I had been invited to championships. So I knew that I was going to see everyone is that, you know, you're going to have multiple reads. Um, and so that's always kind of, kind of a benefit there, you know, but um, speaking of getting out there and I think this is a good opportunity to put this on the record for sure is that, the judging rules changed in 2018 to what they are now, where percussion judges are limited on how far they can get off the sideline. I believe it's six feet, if I remember right. Yeah, it's six, it's six feet. And that rule changed in 2000. It went into effect in 2019. Because my okay. first summer, I was still out on the field. Like, and I the, was way out, that those, out, uh, the way that those rules come about is that the cores themselves propose the rules, and then they discuss the rules, and then they vote on the rules. So DCI has literally no say in what the rules are. They're all set by the drum cores themselves. So the judges are abiding to the parameters by which the cores tell them to abide. So having said that, do you feel like there are opportunities to where you could get out and sample things a little bit more detailed without maybe getting in the way or whatever issues they think that there are with the judges being on the field, like opportunities to sample a little bit better. Like, do you feel like I could give you a better read if I could just get a little bit further off the sideline? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I will say this. Are there times, uh, where I want to follow a drum line back, you know, as they maybe go back 
to back behind the hash and it's like I know that I can go out and I could hang with them. Um, absolutely. There's definitely times, and I think you could, you know, if you've watched any flow marching, you'll probably see me uh, pushing that <laughs> six foot limit uh, at times because I'll go out as much as I possibly can. Evan um, sent uh, during quarters, I Evan sent, sent him a the, video. Uh, he probably sent it to you too. Like, yeah. it was BD, and you were like, they went away from the front into this big diagonal on side two. And yeah, you see I know you the like, exact part in the show. You run, yeah. and then you like realize you can't do it, and you see yourself just like stop, and you look, and back look at around, the line, <laughs> and then look back at the drum line. <laughs> it's like he wants to do it so bad. Yeah, and I, I probably said something to them on the file too, like, "Well, I wish I could stay out there," but um, yeah, I mean, I, I listen. I mean, I was somebody that marched and watched all those drum corps for all those years of the judge being out there. I was someone that was on the field uh, for that my first summer of, of judging for DCI. I was out on the field. Um, and I can say there are times where it would be nice to hang with the battery, but I think the I think that the way it's set up now is actually I actually think it works quite well. And the reason I say that is because I can still get out to the battery. Okay, I, I can still and and groups are bringing the drum line forward. They are, uh, and you, you know, to. whether you like it or not, that's that's just an evolution of the activity, right? I mean, it's always and groups were bringing drum lines forward back in the day too. I mean, I, I can see all the the Madison, you know, where the Madison would come up and the cymbals would come up and they do it like a drum to drum thing, and or Blue Devils would have the cart with the cymbals, you know, and they come up and do a thing up, you know. So, I mean, drumlines have been doing that for, for years. It's not really any different. But I think now the responsibility is sort of on them uh, to make sure that the judge is able to sample some of that. And it, it, takes, a it, takes, a lot of, uh, it takes a lot off my plate as an adjudicator. Like, I'm not worrying about my personal safety. Because, I, I mean, I had some moments, even in the one summer I did in 2018, where – I was on the field and it is, it is treacherous. It is, it is treacherous out there. So, um, I know I listened to your, um, I did listen. I'm always like, I'm like the Michael Jackson popcorn meme, like listening to content, you know, <laughs> not able to comment or respond. I see what everybody's posting on Facebook. I'm just eating popcorn, you know, but, uh, I did listen and you were talking about like, well, the amount of time that a judge is able to sample, the difference is now uh, I'm spending a lot less time in transit. So I'm spending less time where I'm sort of like running from the front to the back or less time where I'm worried about actually just like trying to like get to safety. You know, the contras are coming at me or the bass drums. I mean, I was at the show in 2003 where Charlie Poole, who is a legendary uh, Hall of Fame drum judge he's got some uh, good sound bites <laughs> uh yeah incredible allen 97 classic yeah. Yeah, uh classic cavaliers 2000 uh semifinals incredible um yeah um, i've listened to all i've listened to so much of his stuff and, and charlie and i have gotten to become friends uh which is something that's to me i'm still like astounded by that that like i'm friends with charlie Poole. but um you know, I was at the show in 2003 when he got hit in the head with a bass drum. I, I mean, I saw it. He got knocked out cold from a Boston bass drummer, and it was brutal. He was bleeding. They had to stop the show, and the ambulance came. Cause oh, no. Back then, 
we still did full retreats at every show. So Glassman, we were the core that was playing cadence on a retreat. So we were up in the Boston area, which is Charlie's kind of neck of the woods. So he was always doing those shows up there in New England. And uh, standing there on the track, watching Boston was the last core on. And, man, this, like, top bass drummer just did, like, a two-count, you know, like a 180 turn and just hit him right in the head. And, oh, no. unfortunately, that kind of stuff, I mean – what a bummer that would be if that happens like on quarterfinals day, you know? Like, right, right. I mean, it's a bummer whenever it happens, but yeah. Jeff Brooks carted off the field. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my worst nightmare as a judge is like becoming a meme somehow in drum corps, like judge, like in 2019, I did semifinals and I almost knocked over this giant boom stand, uh, <laughs> during blue devil shows, like a 20 for this huge microphone. And my, foot got wrapped up in this cord and i i saw like in slow motion this microphone stand like teetering out onto the field and uh i think i even said some choice words on my file <laughs> <laughs> as well probably they would in that situation yeah i just out of out of just sheer reaction um but yeah that's my worst fear is becoming a meme but um so yeah i, I think in regards to getting out on the field you know, I'm spending less time in transit. I'm spending more time with the front ensemble, which probably for a long time wasn't getting as much sampling as they deserve. For sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so while there are some liberties where you think, like, are groups maybe playing, are they sometimes playing lighter stuff backfield? Yeah. Do they, do they maybe get away with stuff backfield? Yeah. But I can tell you, like, who are you going to, like, you like, are you going to fool me? You know, like, like I, I'm judging for a reason, right? I'm, I've been around the game. I'm there on that night for a reason. Like you're not gonna, it's hard to fool me. You know, it's hard to fool any of us that are there, right? Me and my colleagues that were there championships week. Like we know, like we know if somebody's trying to just play stuff, that's a little less dense because it's backfield, you know, Right. So well, we take all we take all that kind of stuff into consideration. Like you, you know, you can you can tell. <laughs> you so know. I fully understand the safety thing. I understand like you guys are still getting a decent sample, even if it's just a couple of minutes when they bring the group the battery forward. The front's getting more exposure, which is always a good thing. I do you think that there, there should was... still be a P two where somebody like I know that there's the music analysis to judge who every night was somebody with a percussion background. Um, I think it was like Caleb Rothy and Dave Carbone and Glenn Fugit or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and Marty, I, Marty Griffin. Or Marty did, Griffin did one night. night some music and there was always yeah. a dude in a GE caption, like a Chris Heston or something that yeah. is like a percussion caption or a percussion background. But, and those obviously attribute to the overall score of the show, which is awesome. But they do not account anymore for the percussion trophy or the individual Fred Sanford trophy, whichever you want to call it. So it, it's interesting because if you look at that music analysis, Judge, and if that were factored in to the percussion trophy, Bluecoats wouldn't have won because every night the music, the music to Judge had BD in first. Yeah. <laughs> well... I, I personally don't think that there needs to be a, a second, like, P2 judge. Okay. Um, 
Uh, I think that, again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, where there's, there's a dialogue that happens between me and the other judges and the groups all season. And so we, like, I know, I mean, when groups are making changes or they're, they're watering apart or they're changing apart or they're tweaking something, I, I usually can, can catch that stuff. And so I, there's, there's a level of growth that happens with the judges and the groups over the course of the whole summer. And so uh, I, I, I feel like we're able to really sample quite a bit um, on the field of the entire percussion ensemble. And, and the other part of it is, because, um, I mean, essentially, too, all it's going to do is water down the number a little bit. And, and like you guys were saying, you know, you, you, you don't want to see it be a battle of designers and, and, and neither right. do I, I, right. I will always advocate for the membership. To me, it's about the members. It is not, you know, it's not Paul Rennick versus Tom Rarick versus, uh, Travis Peterman versus Mike McIntosh. Like it's, it's the Cavaliers versus Blue Devil. And like, to me, it, it should remain that way. And that tradition of that's something that the other designers and the people that want to change rules for percussion judges are maybe perhaps underestimating that tradition of the percussion. Like within the, the microcosm of the drum corps community, there's also like a subculture of oh, yeah. percussion, you know, and, and I'm all about that and grew up with all of that. And so I always want to preserve that and keep that about the membership. And so to me, like I hear people have, you know, people will say, well, you should put the judge in the stands because that's what they do in WGI. And well, but it's a different venue. Like, it's a different venue. WGI yeah. is in, it's... it's in a basketball arena. Like it's a much smaller. <laughs> and there's no brass. And there's no brass. And I'm like <laughs> 10 rows from the Marimbas. Like, there's almost no football stadiums in the country where I can be close enough where I can actually get out there to hear the stuff that, that as a, as a member, like you would hate knowing that like somebody maybe won drums, even though they're like giving up some stuff out in the field. Cause you can't hear it. Cause I'm sitting like 20 yards up into the stance, you know? Um, yeah. and if, so if you had two judges, that second judge is really, it's going to probably become a much more content heavy. So right now, if it's 50, 50 content makes sense. And achievement, now you've got a second judge. that's yeah, maybe it's content achievement, but the it's way really you perceive it, it's 25. probably, yeah, it's going to weight it much more on that content side and not that the, the designers don't deserve credit because they do. But I, I always, to me, I love it. It's like going to, into battle, you know, um, and the and, content is way more subjective than like achievement. Like you're you're clean or you're not. But whether somebody likes and understands what you're doing or likes one group A over group B what they're doing is way more subjective. Well, and I think it's as a judge, obviously we train, so I'm never thinking about like what I like or what I don't like, but we're humans and so of course you have tendencies and you have things that maybe resonate with you more than something else so you're you know you're always kind of uh aware of those of those tendencies but i think ultimately you want it to be about uh what the members are doing on the field you know and uh, i just i i think that's such an important i love that 
an important piece of the activity to to preserve. I, I just know when I was a member, that's really what I. It's uh, such an intimate relationship yes. of you and the judge in exactly. those ta- those tapes that I have of the judge being out there. It's it's such an intimate and unique relationship that you have that you don't want to you don't want to take that away. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so, and I, I think the other the other part of it too is that the content at that at that upper level where everyone is so good, like everyone's design is masterful, you know, and so you're really splitting hairs, and it does it does come down to what you're hearing a lot of times, and it does it does sort of stay in the members' hands, you know. So I agree with that that 100. percent Obviously, it's about that we wanted to focus on the members, and at that upper echelon of the activity, like the content is stellar across the board in those top five, six, seven groups, whatever. And it needs to come down to the hands. So we just talked about having a P2 judge, and to me, to really give as much credit to the achievement of the members as humanly possible, to really figure out and get in the nitty gritty of the minutia that separate these top handful of groups that are competing for that Sanford, you need to be five feet in front of them. So what would you say to then, and I think we suggested this on our recap podcast or whatever after finals, you still do two judges, but it's not a P2 judge in the traditional sense up in the box. You literally have a front ensemble judge and a battery judge. And so the front ensemble judge can literally evaluate the entire show of what the front is doing. They can also pay attention to the front, front to back connection of the battery in the front. And then you have a battery judge that's allowed on the field. And I think the safety side of it would be a little, would be way lessened thinking about this at least of you're not trying to transit (laughs) you're not trying to transit and go through color guard moments if you need to go straight right out to the 20 yard line to avoid something yeah you're gonna miss that moment because you had to protect yourself and the members but the time that you are not having to transit not having to you're just gonna be in front of that battery a whole lot more to really get the minutia of who's ticking more really the exact details of what they're playing so would that be a two-judge system to where you really would truly reward the member's achievement and at keep a much the higher MA2. rate? Keep the MA2 guy. Exactly. You well, also keep that box judge that's already there. I Listen, I, I, hear, I hear what you guys are saying, and I think it's, um, it's an interesting theory or an interesting idea. Uh, I don't think it's practical um, – you know, you're not asking a brass judge to only judge high brass or only judge low brass. Uh, you're not asking a visual person to judge upper body or lower body. Um, and so my role, as it's been defined, you know, by the member cores is to judge percussion. And and so I've been able to, and we as adjudicators, we were able to take our experience working with these ensembles and marching and and um, and all of all of our 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 experience in the activity and 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 try to evaluate as a whole. Um, and so yes, we are out there and we're trying to get the the nitty gritty ticky tacky stuff, as I like to say on my on my files. You know, the peach fuzz. We're out there looking for that. Uh, but we're also trying to, to credit the designers. We're also trying to really take in that dialogue between the front ensemble and the battery. Um, and and it is and it, it is a little different sheet too where like 
I'm not necessarily commenting on how the percussion ensemble fits within like the brass book. That was something in my first year of judging. I was, I had to be careful about talking, Oh, well the snare part really aligns with the, the trumpets there. Cause that's really more of an upstairs, like music analysis comment. And so I, while I, I appreciate your uh, willingness to, to put ideas out there, I don't think having a front and percussion judge kind of be separate. I don't, I don't think that it's cause, cause I'm, you're really, you're really sort of limiting the judge. You're really, li- you'd be limiting someone's experience. Um, and it would, it would sort of be, um, I think quite restrictive, uh, as an adjudicator. I know as an, as an adjudicator, I would not want that to happen. I would be, I would be pretty, uh, I would not be happy if something like that were to be re- implemented. I can respect that. I can respect yep. that. Yep. Um, Speaking of like, you're talking about adjudicating the whole as well as the nuance. It's already a pretty incredibly daunting task, but you had uh, probably the most daunting task of the finals weekend of judging prelims in however many groups there are. I don't know, 30 or something. Uh, I had it was almost 40. I think it was uh, like 30, 36 or 30, something. 30, 36. 36. Yeah, there's 36. I, I just pulled up my. Uh, Google Sheets here. It's mind blowing how groups. you all keep it straight <laughs> um, for that long of a period of time. So that's a long day to get to get out there. And if you don't mind talking about it, there was a bit of controversy that people had with your results. But we talked a little bit off the air about how you came to it and how you felt in your heart of hearts that like this is the right decision. I, you said, you, I think the words you used were agonized over, like just making sure that you did what was right. So Boston, I think for sure, won the 2022 summer lot hype, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I would subscribe to that. I mean, I yeah. saw it firsthand. Yeah, we, we saw it, it in Atlanta. Times. Uh, we saw it in Atlanta, and I would fight tooth and nail with anybody to say that in the lot, that's one of the best drum lines I've ever heard in my life. Um, but obviously, it's a different it's a different game when you're in the lot versus when you're on the field. Uh, so, kind of walk us through that. Like, you got to make these incredibly hard calls. Not just that one, but the rest of the sheet as well. Um, I'm sure that's just a daunting task. It is. It's uh, it's an incredibly long day. Um probably the toughest day of like single day of judging I've ever done. Um, and I would also say that it's really, to me, it's astounding just how good everyone is. Like, right. Um, I feel like that's why I do what I do as a judge. Cause I'm like such a huge drum corps nerd. Like I just love it. And so to be out there with everyone, uh, open class cores, I mean, everyone up and down the whole lineup is, uh, Truly, truly an honor for me. I mean, everyone was just absolutely exceptional. Um, it It is very challenging because the numbers management that comes into play, right? Like you, you do not want to have any sub, obviously no bottom line ties, right? So bottom line tie, meaning whatever the, the actual total, the overall score, we call that the bottom line. And then uh, you also want to avoid sub caption ties, Um at all costs, you want to avoid. And actually, during um, 
like during championships, we actually have someone down there this year. Uh, and it's, it was Brooke Basso, who is a, an amazing uh, woman from Indy, uh, Indianapolis that works with uh, IPA. And so I know her from uh, my judging with Indiana, but she actually sits on the field and like helps us if she will alert us if we have a subcaption tie somewhere, just as an extra set of eyes to try to, um, you know, just keep an eye out for any of, of those so that we're not tying people. So and, just to pause real quick. So I think a lot of people, um, just to dive into the backside of it, like you do have the ability to go back and change numbers, which is 100% the way it should. Well, you kind of didn't as much as some others. But getting the numbers and the placements and the spreads right is 100% the most important goal. So if you got to go back and change a group after you've seen four or five groups, you absolutely should. Um, yeah. So that is, I like that they have somebody down there being like, "Hey, you you tie these groups. You get you need to make a call." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and generally, you try not to change numbers if you can help it because it's sort of it can right. be like opening Pandora's box because like oh, if yeah. you oh, yeah. if you shift one number, then all of a sudden now they're tied with somebody else, and it it can. It can get out of hand in a hurry. I would say I've I have learned that lesson before. Luckily, not like at DCI championships, but uh, I've had days. You know, I did a show in Indiana maybe eight or nine years ago. I did like A class prelims in Indiana, and there were like fifty A class drum lines. And at the time, they didn't do they didn't do any like rounds. It was just like one show. It wasn't like well, we're going to do twelve, and then you can reuse numbers, and then we're going to do another twelve. It was like one show, and I think actually that was probably the hardest day of judging I've ever had in my life, trying to not tie people and just – It's just like a random order of like skill level. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely brutal. You know, and, and, and you're also trying to – you're trying to keep the spreads because if, if you're familiar with the sheet, the, the spreads tell a story, right? So you're always like – you're always trying to kind of convey a story to the groups through their numbers, you know, you're either you've got a profile a certain way and it's, it's more common to see the content number a little higher, perhaps, and the achievement number a little lower. Like that's probably the more the more common way that you see it profiled um, just because the membership is oftentimes like they're not quite achieving it perfectly. You know, uh, well, no one is, but, you know, they're there. There's things they can improve. And so you. But the numbers are kind of the numbers are kind of connected. They're not they don't like exist in a vacuum. So like somebody can't come out and play like Rite of Spring and play it really poorly and say, well, but the content number should be a ninety nine because it's it's the Rite of Spring. It's it's Stravinsky. Like it should be, you know what I mean? Like they're they're connected. The achievement and content numbers. The, they're I've derived the from one that, another. So. Yeah, I've heard a saying that they are like a, they're not a they're not a bar line, but they're a hyphen or something like that. Yeah. So they, to, I always in my mind, I just sort of view them as being like attached with a bungee cord. Like you're you're only going to really see so much separation in, in each one. But yeah, and and the other challenge of of quarterfinals day was that because the the show was being broadcast in movie theaters. And because they want to announce scores throughout the day, we actually did have to lock numbers. Like every six to eight groups, they would ask us to lock numbers. So once they're in there, they're in there. 
Um, and so there, there were a few times like later in the show where I, you know, there was a gap between groups where I had locked a core in. And if I, you know, if I could go back in time, maybe I would do something differently, um, you know, with a group, but, but that's, but that's the reality. That's, that's, you know, uh, it's, that's just tough a gig. challenge of that day. It's a tough gig. And, and so you've got to be sure when you lock those numbers in. And, and I really felt, honestly, I felt like the day went quite well with my numbers management. I really only, I had one log jam with two groups, right? I had locked a number and I, I would have liked to have maybe changed it, but it's just, it's not how it worked out. And, and the, and where that happened, the cores were very competitive with one another. So in the end, I was actually very happy with how all the numbers kind of sorted themselves out, you know, and really the, the show calls itself. Like I, I think about like, uh, you ever heard about how like J.R. R. Tolkien, he said the world of middle earth already existed. I just, brought it to the page like he just wrote Dude, it down I like love, it always yeah. existed you know he just was the one that that wrote it down and like to me like the scores exist it's just my job like the show happens and then it's my job to just distill all of that into those numbers that you see on the recap but yeah that's like my best interpretation of what happened throughout the day from someone that was on the field with the core you know so and you, it's and you had you had to make some calls and Yes. <laughs> I think the you mentioned the Michael Jackson meme where you're sitting back and watching the popcorn. Um, I'm sure you were watching with uh, some popcorn and with extra salt as people started to, I don't know, grumble or question numbers that you put down for certain groups. But at the end of the day, like you were the one out there on the field who heard what was going on. Uh, yeah specifically yeah. everybody was like i said like boston like probably i would say a revolutionary uh battery ensemble that pushed the envelope of what you could ask a player to do but as you said earlier it, it should come down to the members like boston versus bd not like colin versus skojo or versus this person versus that so it's like it's it's gotta come to fruition in front of you yeah so Yes, some some very uh, and like I said earlier, I I absolutely was agonizing over some of those numbers and you know because I I know what's at stake. You know I'm not a, I'm not immune to what's going on with the groups. I I know you know where the hype train's headed. You know I I I'm not immune to to all of that. I mean I'm I'm a fan too. That's I'm I'm the biggest fan. That's why I'm out there. You know. And so I, I know, um, what people were saying and, and, uh, but that's, that's for me, that's just part of the gig, you know? Um, it's like, yeah. I can't imagine being like an NFL official, you know, like <laughs> blew that cut. So kind of what I felt like, you know, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough gig, but I felt like, uh, in the end, you know, the, the show kind of calls itself really. Um, and that's what I think people don't realize is that I'm not just judging the battery or I'm not just judging the front ensemble. I'm really trying to, to take all of it in. And, and I can tell you, and I think if you've heard any of my files, which I, I think you guys had said that you had heard some of them. Yeah. Hopefully you can tell, I always am trying to be as authentic as I possibly can with the cores. And I think I, I hope 
that I come across as like a fan of the groups. Like I'm, I'm always rooting for the groups. Like I always want them to have the best run that they possibly can. I want them to make my job just torture. You know, I want to have to really dig in and make those tough calls, you know, and this year, I think more than ever, you know, in previous years, maybe there's been a, maybe a front runner or somebody that's kind of, you know, the obvious winner. And, and, it, and that, that goes all, that goes all the way down. You know, we talk about the top, um, a lot, but there's so many of these interesting battles going on all throughout oh, yeah. the placements. 100%. I mean, um, the like so, six through 15 is it's brutal. Just brutal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just an absolute, uh, I would say dog fight. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, so, so many intriguing matchups happening and groups, you know, some groups having hot nights and um, for me, I, and that's the thing when you're out there too, it really is kind of astounding how you can tell like what kind of a run a group is having just based on their energy. Some groups come out and like, you can tell that maybe they had a rough day and it was hot and they're tired and they're just kind of mailing it in on autopilot. And then another group comes out um, there are some files. Uh, uh, there were there were some groups. I tell you, uh, Genesis had a heck of a run. I mean, there yeah. were there were some lines that. I mean, I actually found myself getting emotional on my files. I go back. Excuse me. I listen to them just extensively, uh, which is almost torture in itself. But I I go back and listen to every single one. And there's some. I mean, I'm like literally emotional because I can tell that the kids are putting it out. Like they are laying it out there, and is it perfect? No, they're giving up some stuff, but they are—they are not going to go down without a fight. Like they—they they were giving it absolutely everything, and when you get to be out there on the field with the group and they bring that energy—I don't care if they're first, or if they're fifteenth, or if they're twentieth—when you get to experience that kind of energy from a from a DCI drum line, it—it's—it's it's magic. I mean, it's like a drug. I'm—I am a—I am an addict to that <laughs> i have been chasing that kind of magic my whole marching career and that's why you do it right and i i can count on one hand the number like you have just shows like you know 08 rhythm x like finals we you know it's like you can count them just like they don't happen that often but um and that's why i do what i do for the army i mean i i uh i'm sort of always chasing that uh that feeling again as a performer and it's hard it's really hard to, to be a part of that and so as a judge that's about as close as i can get in the drum corps world to to getting to be a part of it and so just to be out there with them is just such a huge honor for me i mean well you kind of like segued the hell out of that <laughs> i mean uh, i'm not gonna lie and, and i really Could've set it up better i mean i'm not i don't want to cut this short by any means but so you're talking about like you're chasing this drug, you're chasing this feeling, and you obviously and Mike and I have had these experiences as performers as well, and now you're having this experience as an adjudicator, but you're also in, also through your career getting to experience this through your gig um, through the United States Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps, where you've had these incredible experiences as well, where you get to perform in these venues for these celebrities for presidents for prime ministers um what i know you said that rhythm x 
2018 is probably one of the pinnacles of your just like experience levels. But I think you've, I've, I've read that you've had some pretty unique experiences too, as well through your job. So like, I, I'm not going to cut it short, but just kind of like take us through that and what that's been like as far as your career, but also your passion. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, having the chance to, you know, to serve my country, uh, to have a chance to continue to hone my my craft uh, as a rudimental drummer, uh, I've been just really uh, lucky to, to to be a member of that group. Um, and I, it's funny because it's like we do we do so many things, and and what what we do is such a unique thing. Um, we play a lot of uh, retirement ceremonies for the army, which, uh, in some ways, it's a little tedious. But in in a lot of ways, <laughs> you're they are they're long and their speeches and and all of that. But you're also essentially we're trying to showcase the excellence of the United States Army through our marching and maneuvering and our music. Um, and so when someone puts in twenty or thirty years in a career with the army. We do their retirement ceremony as a way for to us to, to give back, as a way to acknowledge their service to their country. So um, we get to do high-profile jobs, you know, uh, dignitaries or heads of state that come in. I've uh, played for the Pope. Uh, I, I did a job, wow. uh, a mission at the Kennedy Center a number of years ago where we played for the Kennedy Center Honors and we were part of this skit that was honoring Tom Hanks. And so, like, Tom Hanks was there and Sting and President Obama was there. And, I mean, obviously all these celebrities. And so we got to be a part of all of that and, and, and put that together. Um, I played for the family of Winston Churchill uh, in Statuary Hall inside the Capitol building. They dedicated a bust of Winston Churchill and his, like, actual family was there. Um, That's incredible. And so I got to meet them. I met Madeline Albright uh, that day. She has since passed away. So I get to you do. You played for uh, like Shinzo, Ab the late Shinzo yes, Abe. Yeah, the late Shinzo Abe. Um, I played for him at the White House. Uh, I still have the program for that. That was. Uh, it's just so sad what happened to him. Right. Uh, with his Absolutely. assassination, just I, I was very shocked, uh, especially in Japan too, where they're they're so strict about. Uh, their gun laws, you know, this guy like literally right. made his own guns crazy. But all of that, I think also the flip side of that is we get to do things where we're playing for veterans, uh, people who have combat injuries, who have lost limbs. Uh, we get to play for them as a way to honor their sacrifice. You know, sometimes we, we play at funerals and we play to honor the dead and the fallen. Um, and sometimes we get to play for school kids, you know, and, and for me, like our uniforms are very unique and I get to play this huge, it's a 17 by 20 inch rope drum. This thing is massive. <laughs> like sound quality. Yeah. We're talking a snare drum. That's 20 inches deep. I'm telling you, um, this thing's huge. And, when you see the look on a kid's face, you you just never know what kind of a long-term impact you're going to have on someone. You know, I know I can think back to times when I was a kid and I saw drum lines and, and groups like that and it, the, just the impact that it's going to have on somebody. So um, 
you know, I do. I sometimes I get emotional. We'll, we'll, you know, I played uh, at a mission where we were playing for survivors of the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. And this was like six or seven wow. years ago. I, I, I don't know how many of those guys are even left around. They were old back then. But I got to meet them and talk with them. And uh, it's, it's really hard to kind of put into words. Um, so because I've always been a you know, sort of a, a military history buff and uh, have read quite a bit about, you know, our own country's history and the role of musicians in the military and. So it's it's kind of hard. It's and we do a lot of other you know army kind of functions. It's not always it's not always just like a gravy train of like doing this awesome stuff. Um, sometimes like you know tomorrow, as I told you, I'm working a 24 hour desk <laughs> shift. You know, uh, not looking forward to that. You know, so the guts and the glamour. Yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, yeah. Speaking of guts, I mean, I was looking through some old. Uh, just interviews that you had done and one of the things that was on there was talking about some of the training and you have to do like a a 75 minute standing at attention training or something yes yeah you do so you do a you do a 45 a 60 and a 75 and you do a 30 minute one at the audition so if you fall out in that 30 minute one at the audition you just get cut right then so luckily (laughs) luckily no one no one uh to my knowledge, no drummers have anyway. I know that there there have been some fifers and buglers that have not made it through that, because it's weird. Like if you've never done it, to try to just like stand at attention for thirty minutes, like without moving, it sucks. <laughs> you know, you that get does an itch suck. On, you get an itch on the end of your nose. You can't do anything yep. about it. Like you're you're. Yeah. You're mentally like thinking about like, all right, I'm gonna take myself back to like high school. What was that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you just you come up with all these mental games for yourself, you know. So when they when the fifers have to stand, do they have to stand like instrument in playing position? No, they or just... they stand. They have like a kind of like a parade rest. That they okay. Stand out, okay. So. Okay. I'm gonna have to. Think... U- I'm gonna have to use that with my high school kids when I go back to teach them. Yeah. So, no. like, this guy oh, no. standing attention for 75 minutes <laughs> you can do it for 40 seconds yeah, yeah. well that's the, that's the thing is that we we have so many of these moments where we end up standing for long periods um so i did i uh pope one of the pope francis was here in 2015 and the way we set up was sort of backwards on the white house lawn for some reason they flipped things around so we were like on the opposite side from where we normally were and I ended up on, you know, like how when you have like a small tree, if you take mulch and you sort of build it up around the base of the trunk, yeah, so there's yep. like a little dome. Yep. And somehow I ended up like on this, next to this tree, like standing on this incline. Where one and, foot's higher than the other? Yes. And it oh. was absolutely the worst. Like, And he was late. They were late. Uh, who knows? There were like all kind of protesters downtown, and the Pope mobile was dragging. Pope, yeah, the Pope and the president were late arriving, so we had to just stand there. And I—that's probably the only time I was ever actually worried that I was going to like fall out. Like, because it, it was an hour plus, and my foot, like one of my feet, had fallen asleep. So I try, you know, you do what you can. You try to move, uh, you know, just discreetly within your pant but, leg. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're wiggling your toes and all that, but it's it was uh, not fun. So and you you never know when that kind of stuff's going to happen. So Ooh. rough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to have to have you come back on with us and like 
talk about some of this stuff, like break it down, like I don't know, do a reaction to some of this old guard fights and stuff because it is very fascinating. In the cold attacks are a plenty. <laughs> oh man, that's the most. Not only the standing and attention stuff is wild, but like yeah, the, the music you guys play and play it as clean as you do. And I'm sure the audition, you're not going to get into that group if you're not a really good snare drummer or just drummer for whatever drum you're playing. But it's always blown my mind. I've seen you all. I don't know if you were in it yet when I did see you all live, but it's it's been wild. It was so cool to watch. So. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and that's what I've what I, one of the things I've really loved about being in the group too is just really having an appreciation for how huge drumming is on an international scale. Like we, we kind of put the blinders on and we of course love DCI and eat that up, but all these other countries have these traditions of rudimental drumming, you know, the Swiss, you think about like all the, all the history of the Swiss drumming. And then that was passed to the French and then the French, and then the British pick it up because they're fighting the French, and they're like, "Oh, well, but their drummers are pretty good, you know." And so they copy it, and then <laughs> somehow it makes its way over to us hundreds of years later. And we can't um, be outdone. <laughs> yeah, and and just the fact too that in other countries, there's no age out rule, so like they don't do the competitive thing as well as we do in America. Like there's no circuit like like DCI or WGI that's like just as the pinnacle of competitive uh drumming right but there's more of a culture like there's not uh you're not gonna be considered a master drummer at 22 or 23 and then you just put the sticks down and walk away like you're kind of, <laughs> you just getting started like in switzerland you're you're still a junior drummer at 22 yeah They're like no you don't know anything you know so that, that's fair that's, that's funny. awesome but yeah we will definitely have you back on. I think we had said before we started that we can do like a double whammy, like reaction video with you and do some, maybe some scouts or something. And yeah. That, I would love that. Do some scouts <laughs> for half of it. And then some old guard stuff for the other half and kind of, or we can do two different ones. I don't really care. It works for, works for us either way, but we're, uh, just, lo- we're just loving doing it. So, yeah. So I, Evan, you got anything else for him? I think it's been a great, I think it's like an hour and 11 minutes now or something. I think I'm seeing. I'm good, but if Jeff, you have if you have anything you want to shout out before we wrap up, we'll we'll give you the floor. Yeah. No. Well, uh, thanks to both of you for having me on. I mean, I I really uh, appreciate it. It's um, certainly a fan of of all the content that you've been creating, and uh, you know, just really proud to be a part of the culture. You know, um, I'm such a huge fan of drum corps, and for me, just to be to be an adjudicator and to be on the field with all of these exceptional young people and these groups, it's, uh, it really fills my tank. I mean, I, 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 I live for those moments and, um, I feel like whatever else happens in my life, uh, I can always be proud of the time that I have been able to be on the field as both a member and as a judge, as a staff member, um, just so proud of what everyone's doing, you know? So, that's that's really my big takeaway from from all of it. It's just I'm so I'm proud of the activity. I'm proud of the members, um, and just proud proud to be a part of it because it's meant so much to me, just personally and professionally over the years. Dude, heck yeah! Cheers to that, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, I don't know of a better way to end it than that. So we'll just uh, real quick Lone Star Percussion discount codes in the YouTube videos. You guys, if you don't know it, staged out. Facebook, Instagram, um, head over to patreon.com if you want to support us financially at all. 
Uh, I don't think I, we did Lone Star, Social Media. I think that's it. Rocked I, think, it. I think we're good. All right. We will see everybody in the next one. Thanks, Jeff. Thank Peace. you.